Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for today's show. This week, Wesley Goodall joins me on the show. Wesley is a technician from the state of Washington. Uh, he works at a sprinter garage uh, that's also does some European vehicle work, but he focuses mainly on the sprinter application. Uh, Wesley reached out to me through Facebook. He's a listener of the podcast, and we sat down to talk about coming up through the industry some of the things you learn along the way, um, you know, the path that you take in your career and the choices that you make and why move from one position to another, what drives you, what's forming your choices when you decide to stay at a particular job or even in a line of career or move to the next. What are we trying to seek out? Um, it, was, it was a good talk. I enjoyed getting to speak with Wesley. Um, I like getting to talk with anybody who listens to the podcast. So, hey, if that's you, you're passionate about this industry and you want to sit down and talk about it, uh, just reach out to me and I'll be happy to have you on. But with that out of the way, let's jump right in. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess we could uh, we could start off with that. You could introduce yourself and give me uh, give me the, the story of, uh, you know, what you do in this field, how you got there, and then I'll, I may interject along the way to ask questions or yeah i mean feel feel free to steer it in whichever direction you feel necessary but uh yeah i mean uh i'm wesley and i I currently work at a shop that specializes in sprinter vans but i've been been kind of doing the european car thing for the last couple of years like i don't want to say five six years but i mean how i got started in it i guess was when I was when I was really young, I just kind of always liked taking things apart and figuring out how things worked. Mm-hmm. So that's I don't know when I was like a teenager and stuff. That's kind of I was like, okay, this this might be the career choice for me, mm-hmm. just because I really enjoyed it and I was always like trying to figure out, okay, how does this work? What does this do? That sort of thing. So when you know when it came time to get an education and kind of move into that sort of thing I, I was kind of set and like I want to go to tech school and this is what I want to do like when I found out that was the thing because I was always wrenching on my own cars and kind of trying to figure out that sort of thing unsuccessfully a handful of times but you know uh but I guess that's where I kind of figured out that's what I wanted to learn how to do it right because I always drove around like old piles of crap I wanted and, and you know my parents got tired of paying for them to be fixed and stuff like that so I'm like oh I'll just I'll figure it out on my own or sure. you know I'll do it and like I think what was it my my first car I had this like it was like a little Mazda pickup I think it was like a B2200 or something like 90s Mazda pickup truck and nice. like the water pump went out blew the head gasket I was like <laughs> I think I was like 16 at the time my parents like well you I guess you're walking better scrap it And I'm like, no, I'm going to fix it. I was like dead set, like determined I was going to fix it. Like took the whole thing apart and like, 
I was like, I was telling them, they're like, you're, they had no faith in me that I was going to figure out how to fix it. But, <laughs> you know, like me, of course, I had like a toolbox full of like my grandpa's old tools and stuff like that. And, you know, okay. probably missing a lot of things, but I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to take this thing apart and, you know, bought all the parts from the auto parts store, like the local Riley's. And I was like, I'm going to do this whole thing. And, uh, you know, I, I like now that I think back on it, I'm like, I don't even know if I torqued head bolts correctly or uh-huh. like did anything like, you know, long story short, I got the whole thing back together. It never ran again. Oh, okay. That's going to be my question is did it run yeah. and it went back together? Yeah, no. And it, uh, it didn't, but that's when I was like, I don't know, I guess the light clicked on. Cause I was like, you know, it was like that combination of like, I was proud of myself for being like determined, but I was also disappointed mm-hmm. in myself that I wasn't successful. So I was like, okay, there's got to be a way to figure out how to do this whole thing right. And that's where I kind of like, I never really let that whole thing go. So that's when like, you know, when the opportunity of, you know, going to tech school and making a career out of this whole thing came up, I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's where I want to go. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Some of those uh, early projects, um, I mean, successful or not, it, it's such a cool feeling, cool experience to go through that for the first time. You've never taken anything big like that apart before. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the f- a couple of the early ones that I, that I tackled on my own besides just like changing oil or tire or brakes or something like that was I had a 95 F-150 that I decided I wanted headers on and I was going to do it myself and pulling the exhaust manifolds and putting the other ones on and in my parents' garage, cause I'm you know, obviously living with them and my dad. Yeah. He's just, he knew I was into this stuff. He knew that I wanted to do it, but he's like, are you, are you sure you can take this on? You sure that, you know, you're going to be able to make this work. And I don't know, somehow or another, after days and days, I, I managed to, uh, <laughs> I managed to get that running. And then I put a, um, I changed out the supercharger on my old Buick Park Avenue because I had the Ultra mm-hmm. with the with the supercharger on it and the bearing went out in it. And I mean, nowadays, I guess looking back, it really wasn't, you know, that crazy of a job. But for me as a young kid and, and tackling that, and it didn't run at first because I, I messed up the throttle gasket. And so it poured coolant into the engine and it wouldn't oh, start yeah, just, just, sucking, just sucking water. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're sitting there trying to troubleshoot it, like having no idea what you just created. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, it eventually did got that fixed, got it started and it like smoked out the neighborhood with white smoke. Cause there was so much cool in the engine, but I was, yeah. I was pumped. I was so yeah. excited that I had it running. It was, it was a pretty cool feeling when you're that new at it. Yeah. And like, you know, looking, looking back on it now, it's like, I think about all these things that I thought that like this, this was like this crazy wild project. Uh, and like, you know, now, now I look back and I'm like, Oh, that's easy. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's nothing. Cause like, I think, I think after that, like my next project before I actually, you know, got an education and did everything like, you know, went through school and all that stuff is like, I bought, I had like a, an eighties Toyota pickup and I did a clutch in it and I did it like in my parents' driveway with floor jacks and like hand tools and all that sort of thing. And like, it worked and it did like everything worked great. It went great. Like it took me a long time, like way longer than it should ever take anybody to do a clutch who knows what they're doing. But you know, it worked. And I, I just like remember that feeling of being like, I did this and it's working. Yeah. And like, I can't like, you know, just that like ultimate satisfaction of like, I completed this. And like, mm-hmm. I guess that's what kind of got me hooked on it is like when you fix the car and you feel like it's a success and you did this right and you figured it out on your own. It's like a super rewarding thing. 
Oh, hundred percent. Like, you get that like euphoria about it. It's something I don't I don't know that you get in every career or every mm-hmm. line of work. Um, the yeah the the feeling of accomplishment once you uh, complete some huge task. I mean whether it's a diagnostic where you finally figure out the problem, but mm-hmm. just the mechanical side of things, right? Just disassembling you know a whole engine or a whole transmission or you know doing an engine swap or or just a huge huge project and then hear the thing fire up or to drive it down mm-hmm. the road for the first time um yeah it's just I, I i haven't worked a whole lot of other lines of you know career paths but man i just i i can't imagine a whole lot of other careers where you get to do that on a daily basis mm-hmm. once you're in this field and you're fixing a lot of cars you get that that accomplishment quite often yeah and i mean it's something that's always different too because like i mean i even still think about it today like you get those problems that just like or those cars that just really beat you down and you're like you go home scratching your head like thinking where did i go wrong what else could i have looked at or like if i if i had only gone this way or like you you know those cars that you don't figure out right away that aren't the easy like five minute diagnosis and it's Mm -hmm. like and then when you finally get it and it's like days later and you just are like you thinking back on your whole process, but you're successful. It's like I still get that same feeling I got when I was 16 doing a clutch <laughs> yeah. on a truck, you know, and it's like yep. that's never really changed for me. And that's kind of I guess that's what's always driven my passion It's like, OK, I can make a career out of this and I'm good at it and I still enjoy it to some degree. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. I've always I've always earned that for myself, I guess. Have you uh, experienced that? I, I feel like a lot of people in this field have where you're up against it, like you're talking about, you're getting beat up by a vehicle and you, you go away, whether you go home or you take a break, you move on to something else. And this thing's just been kicking your ass for, I don't know, hours a day, whatever. And then you come back to it and you figure out what you were hung up on within minutes, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was, whether it was a timing belt that I, tried to line up you know four or five times and it was a tooth off every time and i'm just i'm ready to throw the wrench across the shop Mm -hmm. i go i i go do a couple other jobs come back first time boom it works and it's like how how, what what is the magic behind that that makes that work just stepping away from it yeah i know i wish i had a i wish i had a current example but like so many times that's happened (laughs) where it's like you know just just walk the the power of like walking away and getting your brain off something where you're like you'll struggle to line something up for for so long and until you can walk away and decompress it's like it's it just i don't know something happens in that time frame and it's like you just needed a minute away yeah yeah it's just well it it goes to show the power of like your mindset and how much of it is in your head because your skill set didn't change in that you know 24 hours or less that you stepped Mm. away from the job you know, your hands didn't change. None of that. Your tools didn't change. It's, Mm. it's all up here. And it's, it's, it's something I wish I could bottle it. Like you say, and Mm. figure that out. But, um, it it is, I I've experienced that so many times, whether it be diagnostic or mechanical things. And I I share that with my students too, you know, cause they get frustrated a lot. They're new. They're figuring Mm. this stuff out. And depending on the person's demeanor, they can get really frustrated, really upset. And it's just like, Hey, dude you gotta you gotta step away you gotta walk away from this a little for a little while you come mm-hmm. back and it's gonna be it's gonna be so much easier trust mm-hmm. me i promise well yeah and when i was a you know when i was young and i was an apprentice like 
I was a hothead about a lot of things where I was like, I'm going to do this. And like, I know I'm determined and I'm cussing and throwing tools and making a scene in the shop. And, you know, like I'd have, you know, older guys mentoring me in that position that are like, Hey, you know, walk away for a minute. Like, don't worry about it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I, sometimes I needed that because like, you know, as a young hothead technician, the new guy at the dealership, like you want to impress and you want to be, you want to be the guy that knows everything, gets everything done faster and, and that sort of thing. And it's like, you know, sometimes fat, sometimes faster is not always better if you're, you know, fighting yourself every step of the way. Right. Right. Um, so where did you go from tech school? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I went to tech school at a, like a community college kind of in my area and they Mm -hmm. had an apprenticeship program at the tech school I went to. Okay. So it was, a there was a few different, uh, you know, uh, dealership sponsors for this program. So, and the one I went to was a general motors program. So I was, a during school, I was in an apprentice program at the, like a Chevy dealership in my area. And so that's where I kind of started. And then it, it was a two year program. So associate's degree. And, uh, like I was an apprentice there the entire time I was in school, kind of working under, you know, a master tech there. And then as after I graduated school, I pretty much went right on to right on the line, flat rate tech right out of school. Mm-hmm. And then uh, worked your way into the European world of things. Yeah, I mean, is a it happened a little a little later on down the road. But I mean, I was successful at the dealership for for a little while there. And, I, you know, I guess I kind of I, I had some personal stuff going on, some uh, some addiction stuff I was battling when I was there after school and stuff like that. And, you know, I guess I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole cause this could be a whole nother conversation, but mm-hmm. yeah, long story short, you know, I just, I needed some time off to take care of myself and, you know, kind of get myself out of some trouble okay. cause I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't showing up the way I could show up, I guess you could say. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of where the dealership life ended. I was successful there for a couple of years, and I really learned a lot from that whole avenue because, like, I got to work with some great guys, had some great mentors there who kind of really, who really groomed me from you know being really green and not knowing anything and being fresh out of school to like this is the real world, this is how things go, this is the diagnostic process, like you know teaching me the stuff that you don't necessarily learn in a book, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I feel like that you know, without that, I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have made it as far as I did. So like, you know, and the dealership world can be kind of harsh at times, especially like, I don't know, thinking about it for me, like being the new guy at the dealership. And it's like, you're, you're competing with all these people trying to make hours. And like, like, I'm sure you know how the, like the flat rate world works. It gets really competitive and, you know, everybody's trying to make more hours and trying to get gravy jobs and that, that whole sort of thing. Yep. But, you know, like I did that and I was really successful at that for a while. Like I was always, you know, I was doing well and there wasn't anything that I wasn't wasn't able to take on there. But, you know, like I said, I was battling some some personal stuff and I had to take some time off. I wasn't showing up to work on time and, mm-hmm. you know, it, more more personal issues got in the way rather than skill set issues. But, OK, you know, uh, but yeah, I've been I've been clean and sober for 11 years now. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, I needed to, needed to take care of myself, but after some time off, that's when, 
I kind of like I left I left the dealership, wasn't sure if I was going to go back or not, kind of once I got back on my feet again. And um, I I'd kind of like, you know, played around with different ideas of like going to a different shop or going to a specialty shop or kind of like, what did I want to go do? Because I was, you know, it, it was kind of like a start over type thing for me. Like, what do I want to do? What do I want to learn? Mm-hmm. And I kind of had an in at this uh, machine shop in the area. Um. And they were just, you know, I was like, cool, this is like right, this right up my alley, something new. I can, I can kind of do, do something different. I'm not, you know, busting my knuckles on, on the cars themselves all day long. And so like, it really caught my interest in it because it was like something new, something new to learn. And, um, like, I don't know, I I think back on it now and I'm like, there was so much, there was so much information crammed into like a small period of time because these guys working at this machine shop, they had been, they'd all been there for a super long time. And I kind of started out in the disassembly, the disassembly room, just like tearing down, tearing down engines and looking at stuff and, you know, like cleaning everything and and stuff like that. And I think as they kind of learned, I you know, I had kind of done this a little bit or kind of knew a little bit of what I was doing. I, I kind of got into the, just doing uh cylinder heads there. Okay. So it, basically it was just rebuilding cylinder heads and I don't know, I guess it got old after a while, but it was, it was fun while I was in there. Cause it's stuff that you don't like, you know, you don't really do in the field. Yeah. It, right. It, right. Um, just the, just like taking a cylinder head apart and looking all at all the components, which sounds simple enough, and you'd figure, okay, well, most technicians or mechanics have done that, but I don't mm-hmm. know if you if you work in the field long enough, you may not have, right? You may not have mm-hmm. disassembled a cylinder head recently, and I, I think just the act of doing it can it helps that mindset and that picture in your brain when you're actually working on the car. Like you got mm-hmm. that valve that's doing something funny. You can visualize the seat and how mm-hmm. everything needs to come together. So I, I can only imagine. I never did the machine shop thing, but I can. I would think if you did that stuff and you're really, you know, zeroing in on those tolerances and stuff mm-hmm. like that, it give you a really good perspective going into a mechanical problem. Well, yeah, and that's it. That's what it did. It really like changed my perspective at how I looked at things like, you know, for, you know, diagnostics as well, because, you know, you like you think about like if a valve doesn't seal or like, you know, a valve, a burnt valve or something like that, you actually you physically see it and you like, you know what? I I don't know. I guess it just it it brings things a little more full circle because it's like when I was at the dealership and we had like, you know, a head needed a valve job or whatever we sent like we would send them out or you mm-hmm. know like surfacing heads it's like you don't you don't put a head on a mill in the dealership or at a you know at a local shop you send it out to the machine shop and mm-hmm. it's like to and and just to be able to measure that like head thicknesses and and that was something that like i don't know i guess it kind of like changed my changed my perspective at how I looked at the full circle of like what the automotive world is because like, you know, there's so many little jobs and little things that go Mm -hmm. into fixing a car, you know, and there's so many different avenues and it's like, somebody has got to do the job, whether, you know, one person doesn't know everything and do everything that there is to do. Yeah. There's a ton of specialization and, I, it seems like it kind of fallen out of favor there for quite some time where 
you saw transmission shops kind of dying off and mm-hmm. not, not as many machine shops are still around because, mm-hmm. you know, work still needs to be done, but you don't see it as quite as often as you used to. But, um, I, th- I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of coming back around with all the different areas on the vehicle mm-hmm. and all the things that you have to be proficient in if you want to try to tackle the whole mm-hmm. vehicle. And I, I just don't know as time goes on, I don't know how possible that's going to be. You're going to have to have different people either within an organization or you're going to have to have connections to other shops and other people mm-hmm. to, to help you get all of it done. I mean, that's, well, that's and that was one thing I kind of saw at the machine shop is like, getting that different perspective about the industry too, because, you know, machine, uh, like a machinist or an automotive machinist, I should say is like, it's a very specialty thing. And it's like, you know, you're only doing a very small portion of what the big end picture is. And and Mm -hmm. it's like, you know what? And I guess I kind of saw the industry change. Like while I was there is like, you know, if somebody can just go buy a new part or go buy a used part that they know is good, why are they going to pay somebody to cut a bunch of valve seats and like machine a cylinder head and like, you know, or, or like, you know, hone out a block when you could just go buy a crate motor. And it's like just the, how the prices of things have changed. And it's, it's kind of driven people into why repair when you can replace attitude, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah. And, and like, I've seen that changing in a lot of different other areas as well as automotive, but you know, it, it, it's kind of one of those things that it may be, it may be a dying industry. Like who knows? I mean, I still enjoyed it and I enjoyed what I learned from it, but mm-hmm. it may be one of those things that's just not needed later on down the road, but it's like you, you get a valuable understanding of how things work. Oh yeah. Um, we actually go on a field trip with the students in the fall out to a local machine shop because that's when we do our engine rebuilding course. So they're Mm -hmm. in school taking apart cylinder heads and we disassemble the whole engine and put it back together. And so we bring them out to the machine shop at that point and the guys, you know, run them through the shop and show them all the, all the lathes work and all the, it's, it's really cool equipment. I mean, um, if you if you were to go and buy everything it took to run a machine shop, that's mm-hmm. an extremely large amount of money for some of oh, these yeah. tools because they're they're massive massive equipment. I mean, mm-hmm. five times bigger than anything any like single piece of equipment in an automotive shop, maybe mm-hmm. outside of like a, a hoist or something. But um, all these different uh, you know machines that they have for doing different things and getting the the metal right, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's pretty cool. Uh, you said it kind of got monotonous for you, repetitive eventually. I, I feel like I'd probably feel the same way, you know, after mm-hmm. I did about a hundred cylinder heads. Okay. Well, you know, yeah. they can't be that different from one yeah. to another, but <laughs> like once I, I guess kind of once I, the, the honeymoon phase, I guess you could call it where I'm like, I'm learning a bunch of new stuff turned into like monotonous, like how many small block Chevy heads can I put together in a day kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. Like it, then, and, and plus like, I know, uh, the pay i mean i guess the 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 pay wasn't i i i could i guess i found i could make better money doing something else also it was yeah. another part of it but you know it did it did definitely get old and repetitive just sitting you know hunched over at a a, a workbench doing the same thing every day like it was cool like i you know like you said about the, all the equipment and stuff it's pretty cool mm-hmm. they had this they had this machine that for cutting valve seats it was like this giant 
like they called it, it was called a surdy, but uh, it, yeah, this giant mis- machine that you just mount the heads on and you cut the valve. You you can put new uh, valve seats in and cut them basically from from scratch. Okay. Like you know, like the the Chrysler heads that always drop valve seats. You can just like put new ones in and then oh, cut nice. them again. Okay. And it's like so that was that was pretty cool learning how to operate all that stuff. But sure, sure. Oh but, yeah, it, it definitely. Uh, uh, it it got old, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, watching the uh, the lathe go over the top of cylinder head is pretty satisfying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watching, watching the watching the metal chips fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, what was the other one that I thought was cool? Oh, they have the little oven for the for the pistons, so you heat up. So before you put the wrist pin in there, mm-hmm. you heat it up and then you stick the wrist pin in, and that that was I don't know stuff like that's pretty cool. But yeah. Um, it would only be only be fun for so long. So yeah, I mean the performance side of things was definitely pretty cool too, and that's another mm-hmm. avenue that you don't see in a lot of shops, or at least I don't really see now because I'm not really in- that interested in performance stuff. I guess unless it's for my own personal things, but like the performance, the performance side of things was was kind of interesting to me. Like because we had a flow bench, and then okay. I didn't. We had another guy there where that specialized a little more in uh, port and polishing heads and stuff like that. But I got to sit and watch him do a lot of that stuff and how like how scientific you can get with like measuring the flow and like, you know, how to cut down drag and resistance inside inside a cylinder head. Like if you're trying to build, you know, a high horsepower race engine and it's like, you know, just those little bits that you can shave off and what kind of a difference they make. That kind of stuff was pretty cool. Is is there a piece of equipment that actually moves air through the head i i know nothing about that the performance uh, side of things i mean i get i couldn't i couldn't really tell you exactly how the bench works but it's like it's kind of like a big chamber like you so you could it, it's like a miniature wind tunnel okay kind of thing and it just you just mount it uh to the surface and it'll okay. it'll flow and you can kind of direct it through which port you want it to go through and it'll okay. ju- and then there's a screen that'll just give you the the readouts basically okay. of the of the, of how much it flows and like you know what kind of what what you're getting out of the other side like i guess i'm sure somebody who who operates one of those things every day could probably give you a better description of how exactly it operates but i know it, oh, it's cool though yeah i mean it it's cool to see see the results of it i know that ma- the machine shop that i worked at they built um, they did a lot of diesel stuff, so like Cummins drag trucks and stuff like that. Like, I, I, I forget which one it was. There was one. There was one big one in the area that they built that was like some insane amount of horsepower. It was like the, I don't know the, uh, I don't know. It had like the best time. One of the drag trucks oh, had okay. like the best time in the country, something like that. Yeah. And then it came out of that shop. The guy was pretty proud of that. Who, well, yeah, who did all the work on that thing. Yeah, that's the and there's the performance enthusiast side of the industry too, right? I mean, you're talking about all the different areas, and that's that's a completely different world, right? Mm-hmm. With a with a whole different draw of people and stuff around it than, I guess, more of the traditional career centered technician mm-hmm. or mechanic, right? Not that you couldn't make a performance job into a career, but yeah. just like you're when you think of just a regular, you know, technician that's working at an independent or a dealer, and then there's a whole separate world just for performance. And 
I know when I was starting the podcast, for instance, there's like, I don't know, a thousand performance enthusiast podcasts out there, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I did, I had never listened to any of them. And I mean, honestly, I don't have much of an interest in that stuff. That's just mm-hmm. not my, that's not my angle, but there are so many different things that the right person could get into in this the yeah. centered around automobiles, whatever, whatever your, your niche is or whatever your specialty is or whatever draws you like, there's so many different choices for you to go for. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And that's, I, I never really got into the whole performance thing too. Like it's, it's interesting to me and I can sit and BS with somebody about like, you know, how cool something is. Like I still find it very fascinating, but as far as understanding it all and like, you know, really making that my career choice, like the performance side of things isn't really what I'm drawn to either. It's like, there's, there, there's plenty of OEM stuff that I've still yet to understand that I've like, I, I like want to keep doing that. <laughs> That's made a pretty yeah. good career for me this far. So I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep on that. Sure. Well, where'd you go from the, uh, from the machine shop? So, uh, yeah, after I left the machine shop, I, uh, I kind of got an in at a transmission shop and, uh, I'd, you know, I had done a lot of transmission work before when I was at the Chevy dealership. So I got pretty comfortable, uh, like rebuilding like 4L60Es and 4T65s and like the, you know, just the normal stuff you saw in like the early, the early 2000s Chevys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I got pretty comfortable doing those. So I was like, okay, cool. This is right up my alley. I can go. They, they wanted me there and they offered me a good wage to do it. So it, that worked out pretty good for a little while. Um, and I did, I did a lot of R and R's. I like, I rebuilt a lot of the, the GM stuff. I would do some of the teardowns and rebuilds on those, but as far as some of the other stuff, I didn't really know as well. I could probably fudge my way through it if I had a book, but uh, I kind of stuck with the stuff that I was a little more efficient at, but okay. At this, but at this point, I was like, I you know I could pretty much do any R and R like in a, a couple of hours. So it was like you know they they kind of took advantage of that, I guess, as far as like I'm the fastest guy on the floor that can yank a transmission out and put one back in. So I did a lot of that there, uh-huh. and like as you as you can imagine, that also gets old. So yep. Yep. Uh, but I mean, like, you know, I learned, I learned a lot about different, you know, like, I don't know the, in, the ins and outs of what it's like to be in a transmission shop. Cause it's totally a different, it's a different thing when all you focus on is transmissions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It is a very, I, I service a lot of transmission shops and mm. some of them do full service too. And then that's kind of a mix, but the ones that are like strictly transmission shops is a very different vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, from from what I've noticed, and it's not a hundred percent across the board, but from what I've noticed, w- much cleaner than your typical repair shop. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You can tell me if you think that's true or not. But I mean, this uh, this one I was at. I don't know. You might you might see that one and disagree. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as far as the the build room was was really really clean. So sure. it was it was always nice to work in in the build room. Like they had a they had one guy that all he did there was building transmissions, mm-hmm. and he was kind of like. He was a really smart guy. He's really quiet. He kept to himself. He was really good at what he did, but he just stayed in the build room and you just hand him a, hand him a unit and he'd, he'd go to town on it and he'd get back a shiny one and put it back in the car. But like, yep. you know, it, we had a few guys that could, you know, like if we had a, you know, a lot of them to be done, like I, I was comfortable doing like 
some of the GM stuff. So I was like, I, I knew I could do that stuff without having too many problems. So I would go in there and do some of those every once in a while. But like, like anything else, like, I mean, I guess this is kind of going off the same thing as the machine shop. It's like, you do the same thing over and over and over again. It's like, you get like, yeah, you may be good at it, but it gets old. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, it, and it's like, I'm the kind of person where, you know, if I do, if I do the same thing every day, it's like, eventually I don't really want to do it anymore <laughs> or yeah. I want to learn something new or move into it like a different Avenue, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't, couldn't agree with that more. That's exactly how I am. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes I think it's like, it, it's a problem, right? Like you should, you, you once you find something good, you should stick with it. And you, at least from, at least my, you know, my parents' generation, it was more of you get into a job or at least a career field and you stick there, you mm-hmm. know, for the entire four years that you're employed. And people would. I, I knew some, a guy at Firestone that stayed there for 40 years at the same, mm-hmm. working for the same place, more or less doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't think I could. I don't think I could do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I need, I need things uh, a little different. I need to mix it up here and there to even want to get up out of bed and go to work in the morning, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I, I would never like, I would never go back and say like, I regret taking any of these jobs because like I learned so much and I like, I still look back on it and see it as like a valuable, like a valuable time to where I spent my energy. But like, I guess I just knew when to say enough enough's enough and I'm going to move on, you know, like respectfully, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because like, uh, like, I don't know if I would be where I'm at if I didn't take those steps or, or didn't, you know, go through those learning processes because like I never went into any one of these jobs thinking like, I want to work here for the rest of my life. And like, I just want to do this one thing. Like if I wanted to do that, I'd go work on an assembly line and build one part over and over and over again. And that's just not me. I just can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. It it might be more of like a generational thing because I know some other Mm -hmm. people that aren't in the automotive field and they kind of have the same mindset of, Mm -hmm. you'd almost call it job hopping, but you know, they get to the point where it's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. It may not even be the place. It's not my coworkers. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, I don't want to do this thing anymore. I, I want to move on to something else. I want to learn something new. I want to move up. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it, I'm sure it's tough to be an employer these days because so many people uh, probably thinking the same thing. And, and how, mm-hmm. do you re- how do you retain somebody for a long period of time? It's got to, it's got to be a challenge nowadays yeah. to do so, you know? Well, yeah. And it's like, you know, once you reach that personal, that personal ceiling or whatever it may be at wherever you're at and you feel like you've absorbed as much as you can absorb or you've reached that like peak level of efficiency, mm-hmm. you can only, you can only ride that out for so long before it's like, okay, where's ne- what's next? And that's, yep. I guess that's where I've always, you know, the the point I've always gotten to and who knows maybe where I'm at now might be the same story and I may like reach another point where, you know, I have to, I have to move on. But I guess like, I guess I don't get tired of pushing myself. Yeah. That's the thing is why not strive to improve yourself? Right. Mm-hmm. Because if you're doing, doing the exact same thing 10 years from now, right. We're doing the exact same thing. At, and especially if you're doing it at the same level, 
after 10 years, I'd, I'd, I'd be concerned about that if that was me, right? Mm-hmm. Like I haven't improved at all in a decade. Mm-hmm. What, what is the issue? Why, why not? I would expect if I could see into the future and see 46 year old Sean, like, I hope that I've improved mm-hmm. <laughs> by some metric at what yeah. I'm doing. Um, and if you're not, if you're not pushing yourself, you're not striving for that new thing. I don't know how you, how you would do it. Mm-hmm. And like you say, you reach a limit, you you do reach a limit in certain positions. And maybe that's part of what the automotive field is lacking is for a technician. Mm-hmm. There are so many, there are only so many levels and positions that you can hit. And then, mm-hmm. and then at some point, at least for me, it was, okay, well, you're at the top. Now it's just how many hours can you turn? That's, mm-hmm. that's the only improvement marker that you can make. Yeah. is more productivity and again there's a cap there you, and yeah and like i've been at i've been at that point too where it's like you know i push myself so hard during the week is like okay how many hours can i get and like mm-hmm. how efficient can i be at doing this one job and like you know you get burnt out you burn yourself out doing that sort of thing because yeah like, yeah and, and it's like one thing about the automotive industry is like it it always changes and it always grows just as much as we're willing to do. So mm-hmm. it's like, no matter how much I'm willing to learn about what cars are on the road right now, you know, in a, in a year from now or in a couple of years from now, there's going to be a whole lot of different ones with more stuff to learn. Yep. So yep. It, well, it's that's, that's what's kept me in it for as long as it has is mm-hmm. the fact that there's always something new. There's always a new challenge mm-hmm. right around the corner. I don't know what it's going to be, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it actually, it, it keeps me excited. It keeps me coming back mm. every day. So that I guess it can be a frustrating part at times, but I actually mm-hmm. enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah. And I mean, I've known those guys who's like, you know, they're, they've been in a, a career, you know, their career lube tech or that it's like, that's just what they enjoy or they, mm-hmm. you know, people are like, they get real comfortable at doing, doing breaks and doing, you know, suspension stuff, like, you know, simple stuff or stuff that I would call simple, I guess to mm-hmm. me. But, you know, they enjoy it and it's like, you know, nothing, nothing against those guys that do that. And then you could still make a healthy career out of it. Yes. Like, it's just, it's just not for me. Like, I guess it's like my mentality is like, it can't, I would, I'd drive myself crazy doing that sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there are some people who just want that nine to five, Mm -hmm. come in, I'll do the same thing I did yesterday and I'll get my paycheck. And then maybe they have something outside of you know, their career or the shop or whatever. And then that, that's their focus. And so yeah. I'm just, I'm just here to make money so that I can fund the other things I do with my family or mm-hmm. my own hobbies or whatever. Um, so there's that side of it too, but you know, and obviously this podcast and Facebook groups draws in the people who are career focused, right. That mm-hmm. are passionate about what we do on the job. And so that's probably part of it too, is that we are, we are really interested in what we're doing and we want to be engaged with what we're doing. And Mm -hmm. so we're, we're seeking out that next challenge or the way that we can improve ourselves to Mm -hmm. to get better. And yeah, sometimes that involves moving on and trying something different. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it. I guess it always keeps me interested. I know when I, go home and think about the car that I'm working on that day at work. It's like, 
you know, it's an, yeah, it may be a nine to five job, but my brain is there a lot more than that, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, going, going home, like my wife will give me a hard time when I'm like, you know, looking on my, we're having a conversation and I'm like thinking about something like I had to look this up on my phone real quick. And like, I, I, I was just thinking about this car at work and I thought about this one thing and I just had to look it up real quick. <laughs> Otherwise I'd forget it, you know? And it's like, yeah, yep, stuff yep. just creeps into my brain and I can't help it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or you start talking cars and stuff like that. And they're just like, I, I don't understand what you're saying. You, you can tell me all about it, but I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, I guess it's just, that's, that's who we are as individuals. This is what draws us in. Yeah, exactly. Well, how'd you make your way to the, uh, the sprinter shop? Um, okay. So let's see, I guess, uh, when I left the when I left the transmission shop, I went to uh, I went to work for this guy that I kind of met through a friend of a friend. He owned a shop, and it was a like a European shop. Well, it's a German car shop, but I mean they do a lot of other European stuff there too. And um, he's the the guy who runs that shop also owns this the Sprinter shop that I'm working at. We just kind of split off to do this Sprinter thing a little over a year ago, but. Um, yeah, same same business. We just have two separate shops, and uh, so I yeah I got in with with him because I was kind of tired of doing the the transmission thing, and you know he offered me a good wage, and I really liked the 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 individual that runs this shop. He's just a really a really good guy. I like the atmosphere he had going on in there, and and plus like I guess I always. I always had a thing for Volkswagens, even when I was like, back when I was young, I always owned these like beater Volkswagens and I don't know. I, I guess I just enjoyed, they were always weird to me, but that's what mm-hmm. I liked about them is like, I always had to figure things out on my own and it was nothing like anything else. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so I was like, okay, sweet. This is right up. This is right up my alley. And, uh, you know, all the stuff that I didn't already know, I guess I like, cause I, I didn't really know like BMW or Mercedes all that well. So that was kind of like a new thing for me okay. to learn there. And he had this guy working there also who was uh, kind of like, he had been a master tech at a, a Volkswagen dealer for a long time. Like really, really respect respectable guy that uh, like, I felt like I could learn a lot from. And I guess uh, I just liked how this guy ran his shop. It's a, it's kind of like a small, smaller independent shop had three bays and uh it was it was him he kind of did all the and he's a the owner and also worked in the shop so he kind of like had his hands on and everything but i really liked the team atmosphere that they had going on in there because it's kind of like i guess it was kind of like a relief from the the flat rate system that most other shops kind of have going on where it was like that wasn't that wasn't how he operated things it was kind of like everybody kind of worked towards the greater goal of like getting cars fixed. And that was what was cool about it was that was like, yeah, we all kind of had our own jobs and we would all look at our own cars. But when it came down to like, okay, I'm going to like, let's all stop and put our heads together on this one thing. Or like, I'm struggling to figure out this like wiring issue on -hmm. this, like old Mercedes or whatever. Like, I know you're really good at those. Like, or, you know, we all just kind of worked together and that's what, that's what was cool about it for me. Yeah. That's the, the flat rate 
mindset definitely pushes everybody to their own corner and focuses mm-hmm. on their own paycheck. And so unless you get that, you know, that right group of people or just, you know, just the right person, people don't want to help each other or, or spend exorbitant amounts of time helping other people. It's not beneficial. You're losing money, essentially, if you're taking mm-hmm. time out of your day to help somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that is cool. I never did work on a team pay structure. I've, I've heard about them and had it explained to me uh, a few times, but it's it sounded like an interesting way to do things as long as you're on the right team. I could, I could imagine you going south if you know you had some team members that were uh not pulling their weight you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that like i guess that was what was kind of cool about this shop and what kind of really drew me in and i guess it's one thing one of the things i really kind of value about it still is i mean i'm still employed by the same guy i guess you could say um but it, it, it's like the the whole family atmosphere of how we operate things and we all mm-hmm. respect each other and we all treat each other respectfully and like you know that as much as I want to say that's how every shop is, it's not. And there are mm-hmm. some shops where, you know, it's every man for himself. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't know it, like, good luck. Sorry. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's like, I don't, I don't like to operate that way. And it was just like, a, it was a breath of fresh air to be able to work in a shop like this, where it's like, if, if one of us knows, we all know kind of, kind of way of operating. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we're all willing to help each other in it. And it was cool because like everybody kind of, everybody kind of specializes in different sort of things. Like we had, like, a, I guess I'm not at that specific shop that I started at anymore, but like he has some apprentices and he has this one guy who's the, like the master tech and like, I'll pick, I'll still to this day, like go pick that guy's brain about random stuff because he's just a wealth of knowledge. But, um, you know, and he's just got kind of got like a couple people who can do different things. But I kind of walked into that shop to be like, I guess I wasn't not as an apprentice, but like kind of like, OK, this is what what are you good at? What do you want to do? Like, what do you and, and it was kind of nice to just get that like, you know, you can come in here and do what you're good at. And we want to like help you help you do that. You know, we mm-hmm. all work together. And so, like, I guess it it was just kind of like a free a free avenue. Is like, okay, yeah, you want to work on this car, you want to work on this, you get stuck, like, you know, we'll all figure it out together. Like, yeah, That's I don't cool. know. And it was it was cool. And I like, I don't know that he really knew anything about me at the time when I started, as far as like what my experience level was. Like, he knew I could bust out work, and I could, you know. I, I had my own tools. I had a full toolbox and I'd been a tech for a long time. So like he knew that about me, but like it was, a uh, I don't know. I guess it was, a, it was just like he, it was a well, well oiled machine. The way things worked there. We That's just kind of like, cool. it, it's, it's really cool when you get that group of guys or guys and girls that work really well together. Um, I know there was a period of time when I was at Firestone, um, and there was there were some times at Firestone where it was the the hard opposite. But there was a period of time where we had just we had the group, we had the right mix of people in the store up front and in back, store manager, all of it. And man, we like you say, well oiled machine. 
we just we just everybody jived together there wasn't people fighting over work we, mm-hmm. we would help each other um and we were all making money and unfortunately that doesn't last too long at least not at firestone because they people mm-hmm. you know people leave or they move people around to different stores and we would we would talk to each other after that we'd be like you remember those good old days you know we had that group together there and it was it was it was fun to, it was fun to work with those mm-hmm. that group of people because everybody kind of made each other better but like you say helping out and offering advice and hey i'm i'm better at electrical you're better at alignments maybe mm-hmm. we should maybe we should you know swap jobs here and the, the whole shop gets better because of it um mm-hmm. and, It'd be it'd definitely be a good thing if there's there's more of that out there. You you can't do it on your own, and and mm-hmm. flat rate really, I think, leans on you to do it that way. Like you just need to know it all, and if you don't, well, you're just not going to make that much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everybody's got their specialty and that thing that they're the best at or really good at, and why not utilize a group of people to to make it better for everyone? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I guess it like it really helped me kind of push myself too, which was like I, I felt was a really a really good thing for me was because it like it pushed me to learn things that I had never really pushed myself to because like I knew I had like if I say I don't know or like I need help like I got people willing to help me and that's a, mm-hmm. that's always cool because you don't you don't necessarily get that everywhere where it's like if you can't figure it out or you get stuck, you're just stuck until you figure it out. You know, unless you have people that are willing to say, Hey, did you think about this? Or did you like, let me look at this wiring diagram and let me tell you, let let me give you some, some of my two cents or, you know, like it just having a bunch of other people to kind of have their hands in it. Yeah. It kind of helps you figure out what you're missing sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm in some chat groups right now um, where it's, absolutely amazing the things that get done because of the combination of knowledge mm-hmm. that's that's shared in there it's it's crazy crazy what you can get done with a group of people as opposed to just by yourself trying to figure stuff out it's, mm-hmm. it's nuts <laughs> yeah and like it really it really pushed me to just be like yeah i'm a, i'm you know like because whereas before, if there was something that I wasn't so knowledgeable about, I would say, eh, I don't know. I don't I don't really want to dig into that because so-and-so might figure it out in five minutes, you know. But where I'd be like, okay, yeah, l- give me a shot at it. And it would like, you know, like, yeah, some some crazy electrical problem. Like, yeah, give me give me a try at it. And I know if I get stuck, I can, you know, I, I can have somebody kind of push me in the right direction if I'm not going there already or mm-hmm. – you know, that, that sort of thing. Because like when you're looking at, especially with European stuff, when you're, you're dealing with, you know, BMW, Mercedes, Audi, Volkswagen, like that's a, you know, that's a lot, that's a lot to cover if you don't already know like a little bit about that sort of thing. Like I said, I knew Volkswagens a little bit and I knew like before that, like my last time actually working on like you know wrenching on cars that like as a technician it was you know at the at the dealership where it's like you know a do anything type of technician so this was kind of like it had I'd been a couple of years removed from actually working on the cars themselves aside from like transmission and machine work so it was kind of like getting my feet wet again back into 
taking on every sort of problem. Like, yeah, I can bust out work, but as far as like getting back in, cause like cars change, like diagnosis stuff is always a challenge, no matter how yeah. you slice it. it it's right. like, you, you never just know the answer. You, you can never retain all the information is like, yeah, all these cars failed this one way. It's never like that as much as <laughs> right. I wish it would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it it almost is a, just a completely different mindset uh, going into the European stuff. I, I find that a lot of the time where I have to I have to step away from my GM Ford Chrysler background because mm-hmm. that's that's what I did ninety percent of when I was a technician learning this stuff. And when mm-hmm. you're when you, it's like it's like learning to speak a language, right? And you figure it out and English just makes sense. And then you hear somebody talking German or Japanese and it, it, there's just, it doesn't make sense at all. Not that there isn't a structure to it. There definitely is. And it does make sense to that other person speaking German, but you've got to, <laughs> I don't know, you got to get out the dictionary and figure mm-hmm. out what <laughs> all these acronyms and, and parts mean and how these diagrams work and, why is the service info so vague and tough mm-hmm. to find things? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, that's, that's just it too. Is like, you know, the, the whole diagnosis diagnostic process when it comes to different, you know, like you, you can, you can spend all the time in the world just trying to learn the processes of one make and still not know all of it. So it's like it's a lot to it can be a lot to take in sometimes mm-hmm. and like you know knowing having specialty tools and especially when it comes to you know european stuff there's a lot of specialty tools <laughs> yeah uh well i feel like there's a lot of things you have to pay attention to in service information and like service bulletins and things mm-hmm. like that too where there's there's really critical changes and updates and like mid uh, split year levels. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's just, there's a lot of stuff that you've got to be in tune with if you're going to successfully navigate Mm -hmm. even, even just repair, not even just the diagnosis part of it, but the repair side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, There's quite a bit of knowledge there, but again, it's, it's an area where, you know, somebody can be very successful and uh, I, I am learning as I go here, the European side of things, as difficult as it may be at times, it sure pays well when you can do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I've been doing a few more um, uh, European programming events recently. And uh, yeah, you end up making more cash for it. The, the customers are <laughs> they're either w- willing to pay or just used to paying more or uh they don't they don't have the money to fix it in the first place so mm-hmm. <laughs> well then like there's a lot of sh- there's a lot of shops or, or just like general general shops that are like yeah we don't know these we don't have a guy that knows these things so we're not you know just yeah so we're gonna send it on down the road you know exactly. so if you're the hey, if you're the guy me. that wants to take it on then you know that's just better you know busier for you you know uh-huh it's like they, but the, yeah, this, as far as service information goes, like, unless you're at the dealership, like if you're an independent European shop, if you don't have, if you don't have somebody there that has somewhat of a base level of knowledge about, you know, 
certain things, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's just a challenge, you know, because whether you have, you know, pro demand, all data identifix, like it doesn't really matter. You're still going to not, you're not going to get all of it. It's just, that's just the way it is with European stuff. It's funny. Like, cause I'll, I'll work on other, like, you know, we get some Fords and Chryslers and stuff like that in at the Sprinter shop now, just from customers we have. And I'll like look up a wiring schematic or look up a, like, you know, description operation of something. And I'm like, wow, it's so descriptive. Like I forgot that you can get this much information because <laughs> I'm used to working on sprinters. Yeah. It's like I have to fudge my way through stuff or like I have to sit there and, you know, pick away and try and fill in the gaps a lot of the time. And I'm used to that now. Right. Right. Well, that, and that's all it is. It's, it's what are you used to? Mm-hmm. What is your familiar base uh, that, you know that you do every day and then that becomes that becomes the normal so then yeah something's either way easier or far more difficult and that's the see so i i was the gm for chrysler guy so european stuff seems really difficult it's not that it can't be done it's just you gotta approach it differently Mm -hmm. um so okay so you were at the european shop and then is this is this the place where the sprinter vans are, or is that a different shop? So, um, how it kind of all worked out was we, we would take in a few sprinters <clears throat> at this shop. Um, but the shop was so small that it's like every time we get a sprinter van in, it would kind of just gum up the works. And uh-huh. it was like, we, we had a lot, of, there wasn't a whole lot of parking, but we just kept getting people coming in because so many shops are like, they're not interested in working on sprinters just because they're, they're odd and they're strange and they're yeah hard to hard to park anywhere and hard to get parts for whatever whatever mm-hmm. it may be like we just kept getting asked to do them and we just didn't have the space for it so the guy kept like we kept throwing around the idea like he's like I should you know we should start up a spot and just do sprinters like because there's plenty of them out there and I don't know if it's like this um out by you, but like the sprinters have just completely taken over the West coast right now. Mm. As far as like people, li- uh, camper vans, camper van conversions. Oh, okay. Um, there's, it, there's not much around of that around here, but I've definitely seen what you're talking about where they do the whole conversion. Mm-hmm. And I'd like, I, I don't know. Cause like I've, you know, I've been to other places like, and not seen them as heavily as I see them here. Mm hmm. But like the the whole van life thing is like a real a real thing. Like Washington, Oregon, California, like sure. people have and and like people are selling their houses and buying a you know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars Sprinter van and building it. That's their home on wheels. You know. Okay. So there there's a lot of them. Yeah. See, you can't uh, <laughs> you can't do that here in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work with uh, forty below weather too well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, we just saw this this whole thing as like a really uh, a really lucrative business. So we opened the doors on this shop uh, about let's say I want to say it was January January twenty twenty. So it was it was kind of a slow start, but once we kind of got a a solid customer base, like they're just flowing in. Like now we've got more work than we know what to do with because we we kind of started out on a small scale cause didn't really know what to expect. So mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of the sprinters at the other shop. Whenever they would come in, I would kind of, I was kind of like the Guinea pig like, okay, you, 
you're going to be the, the, the sprinter guy. So that's how I guess I kind of got thrown into this gig unwillingly, <laughs> okay. I guess you could say, but I'm always up for a challenge. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So when we opened this thing, he's like, okay, you're going to be, you're going to be the guy. So it's kind of like, we're, we're still kind of like on a small scale as far as how the shop operates, because there's me who's like, I kind of, I do everything like I, I kind of have my hands on every van that comes in or every vehicle that comes in. And then I have an, uh, there's an apprentice or there's two apprentices that work there. And then there's one kind of a floater guy that works at the other shop. Cause we're, we're like a, our shop and the, the car shop are, we're about a mile apart. So okay. we have one guy who's kind of like a floater, a floater tech. Like if we have a bunch of extra, like if, you know, if we're, if we got, bunch of brake jobs to bang out or like, you know, simple stuff where you can just come in and bust these out. He'll come and do that sort of thing. But sure. As far as like all the diagnostic stuff, like I'm, I could, I'm basically the shop foreman for lack of a better term. I just kind of like have my hands on everything. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Um, what do you, uh, what are you using for scan tool interfaces for those things? Uh, we've been having uh, pretty good luck with the Autel. We've got an Autel Elite that basically does everything. I mean, we don't really mess with programming too much. That's something I personally have wanted to get into. The guy who runs the shop is like, he's he's not really interested in programming stuff, so we haven't really haven't really jumped into that. I may at some point on my own accord, but sure. But yeah, um, we we use the Autel for they 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 work pretty well uh, okay. it works pretty well with the sprinter as far as i know we also have uh uh the zentry we have a zentry oh, program okay. on on laptop that will it will do a lot of all the stuff that the autel hasn't been able to do so we gotcha. i think we got most of that covered okay yeah i would imagine that probably cover a, a lot of stuff um I was going to ask too about, I've gotten a few calls on the, uh, where the death fluid runs out and they get mm -hmm. to the, they, they drive it until it won't start anymore. Um, mm -hmm. do you guys see that at all? Do you do those resets? Yeah. So that's a whole, a whole new gig. Cause like, I don't know. A lot of shops are just like, we don't know what to do. Uh -huh. It's a very confusing yep. and complicated system when it comes to, when it comes to these sprinters and what the, what they're what's required for them to operate because it, it will like it'll lock you out basically whether you run out of def fluid or a part of the scr system or the like the whole emission system is broken if something's broken it starts this countdown and locks mm -hmm. you out and it it'll set this code it basically sets a hard fault in the ecu and says okay we're no longer allowing this engine to start allowing it to operate and it's there's an there's an SCR module that controls the whole emission system and death fluid like exhaust after treatment system mm -hmm. and that's what sets the code in it it basically turns the code over to the ECU and you can't just go in with a normal scanner and clear that fault it just won't let you do it right right so and the Zentry program is the only thing that we found that'll do it for I mean, I guess that's the only thing I've found that it, that'll do it. The Autel, it has the functions to be able to do it, but I've been unsuccessful with it. That And that's why we bought this entry program, because you can go in there and you have to clear those faults, and then it basically resets. Once you can clear those faults out, 
it'll reset it'll reset the module and start the counter over again but if Mm -hmm. like say you have a bad uh you know a bad knock sensor like nox sensor Mm -hmm. on the if there's one of those and it's intermittent or whatever you can go and clear out all these faults and then you know send them on down the road and say okay now you're back you you know you can drive it again and then the fault comes back, it'll just start their countdown all over again. And then you'll see them again in, you know, a couple months and the, the problem's not fixed. So it can get kind of convoluted, especially when you, we see these vans and people are like, yeah, it says I have zero starts and uh, I can't drive it anywhere. I'm towing it to you. And the thing's got a novel of fault codes in it and you're trying to make sense of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I haven't done one myself, but I had a few calls on them. Um, I actually had... Not it's not a Sprinter, but it was a Mercedes. Um, it's a 2019 A220, I think was the model. It's a sedan. It it had been crashed and was at this shop. They were going to do some uh, some body work to it, or I, actually, it was a repair shop. So they might have been doing I don't know AC condenser and radiator stuff. I, I'm not even yeah. really sure. They were going to do some repair work on it, but the bags had gone off. Pretensioners had deployed, right? But this mm-hmm. thing wouldn't, it wouldn't crank. So you turn the key or it was push button. You press the key, step on the brake and nothing. And there wasn't really any like indication on the dash as to why it wouldn't crank. Um, and I went in with a scan tool and I, I'm fair. I'm still learning Euro as I go. I talked to other, yeah. a few other people and they knew exactly what was going on as, as yeah. soon as I told them, but. I, I go in and there's no codes in the engine control module. I thought was okay. That's strange. It won't crank, and the the ECM's in charge of running the starter relay on this thing. And uh, I go through the rest of the codes, and there's codes in the airbag module, but it's all just open loop stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it deployed the pretensioners. It set off the bag. You can see the they cut the bag away from the steering wheel. But there are no codes like indicating that it has disabled this thing from cranking. Well. Like I said, after talking to some people, there's a message that goes from the SRS module to the engine control to say, hey, the bags have gone off. You, This thing does not crank anymore. It just mm-hmm. will not happen. But you can go in with the scan tool and reset this in the in the powertrain in the engine control module, and then it'll crank and start. And you don't have to replace the SRS module at that point, right? If you want the airbag mm-hmm. light off, you got to do that. But that's just for the powertrain. You actually have to go in and complete this. And so surprisingly enough, I have, I got the top down was the tool that did it for me that actually mm-hmm. did this reset. I had another, I had a couple other tools that had it in there. Like you say, like the Autel says it as the function, mm-hmm. you press it and it fails. The top down actually did it. I was like, that's awesome. And yeah. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes you never know what to expect with that sort of thing because like there will, you know, there's, there's so many different options there or there'll be options there that you don't even know what they're supposed to be. And especially when it comes <laughs> yeah. to Euro stuff, because there's the whole, the whole language barrier. Well, you too, where it's like, you know, these instructions were written out in German and then converted over to English. And then now you're, you're reading it as if they had wrote it in German. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And and then they took it into Chinese when they, uh, they made the launch of the Autel. So <laughs> there's all yeah. kinds of translations. <laughs> yeah. And you're getting, you're getting it third hand and trying to, trying to make sure you're hitting the right buttons. Uh-huh. Exactly. 
Yeah, but yeah we, we've we've run into so many like weird problems, especially we get these these sprinter vans where they're, you know, people buy them and they want to convert them into camper vans or mm. whatever. And they'll be like, it's an old FedEx van or something. And it'll have, I don't know, there's a, there's just a lot of a lot of things that they'll we've seen some with like 600,000 miles on them before. Wow. Come in like, and it's crazy. I've never seen so many vehicles with that high of mileage before in my life. Before I started working on these Sprinter vans, where I'd say the average mileage, if you would average all the vans we work on, is probably around three hundred k. And it's like you don't see that in any other any other model of vehicle. It's like, yeah, not on a regular basis. Yeah, but like, like you can imagine with working on stuff that's been around that long or seen that much road time, like you see some pretty wild problems or some pretty like neglected vehicles i guess you could say too yeah well neglected for sure but yeah some probably unique issues stuff that is not going to pop up on like the identifix top hits because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know after that much time on the road you're gonna have so especially on a diesel you're gonna have all kinds of vibrations and wear mm-hmm. harnesses and things like that and there's components that'll fail that they they did their job. They lasted 300,000 miles and it's just time, but no one else has seen that particular failure before, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. very few people have seen that before. Um, yeah. And yeah, when it's it, interesting when it comes to the emissions systems, as far as what's required on one of these diesel engines too, mm-hmm. it, it only complicates. California, so yeah, well then yeah, it only complicates things more because, you know, like I said, a diesel engine, was designed to be like a piece of equipment. It's not designed to be an everyday, a daily driver automobile as far as what diesels were invented to be. So you add these mission systems to make them compliant and it, it complicates how they operate. So, you know, yeah. you have like the, the diesel particulate filter and then those plug up and then cause all sorts of problems. So it's like you get them, you get them in with like, say, say something comes in and has a plugged, plug dpf i mean you can't just if you just throw a dpf in it it might plug up again because you have to figure out why that dpf plugged up in the first place because they're supposed to run they're supposed to regenerate the way the Mm -hmm. system's designed is it has an after treatment system where it's supposed to sell it basically overfuels it to heat up everything and cook everything out of that particulate filter Mm -hmm. and if for some reason like you could say you just have a bad bad mass airflow sensor and you drive it around say you've been driving it around with the check engine light on for a year the system won't ever regenerate itself because the computer says hey we have a problem we're we're not going to allow this engine to regenerate anymore so now your diesel particulate filters plugged so it's like when you see it 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 has a plug to dpf and that's obvious but it's like what caused that to happen in the first place so it's like sometimes you have to look at the way these systems operate as a whole and say okay what really caused this problem? Cause you could be looking right. at the problem a few steps down the line before you're even seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I can't imagine those components are cheap to replace. So then you put one in and then it plugs up again. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are the, yeah, I think a diesel particulate filter for a sprinter right now, I want to say is like a couple grand. <laughs> Damn. They're not cheap. What, um, what are the regulations there? as far as emissions goes, is that something where if if you have a check engine light on, you're not getting registration or how does that work for diesels in California? Uh, I'm actually in Washington, but Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, in, 
California, I, I imagine it's probably stricter, but here in Washington, they just, so they just did away with the requiring, they used to say, the law used to be that if you had a check engine light on, you they wouldn't allow you to register your vehicle mm-hmm. unless you got a waiver. And the waiver used to be like, if you could go into a shop and get a quote and it was more than X amount of dollars, I can't remember the amount on it. But if the quote for whatever it was to repair the check engine light was over X amount of dollars, they would waive it and you could register it anyways. <laughs> Interesting. But, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of odd, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. But as a, I think now they, as far as I know, they did away with all of that. So now it's just kind of open. I mean, because they they kind of leave it. They put it more on the manufacturer's plate of like they expect these vehicles to be designed to operate clean. I guess you could say. Okay. okay. So it's kind of it kind of they took it away from the responsibility of the consumer and put it on to be the responsibility of the manufacturer to make these engine these engines operate. And that's that's I think where these diesel engines came up with the whole lockout thing where it's yeah. like okay, if you're not going to fix your def system, we're just going <laughs> to lock you out so you can't drive your van. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Mercedes is the only one I'm aware of that does that. I, I don't spend a lot of time in the diesel world, but uh, mm-hmm. um, does anybody try tuning the sprinters? Is that even a, a thing? Because I, I get that a lot with the Fords and the mm-hmm. the Dodge Cummins all the time. I haven't, I haven't seen, or I guess I haven't heard of anybody wanting to tune one for performance reasons. Because okay. I mean, I don't <laughs> know. Good. I don't, I don't think good. it would be that fun to have a... <laughs> You know, r- r- rolling coal down the road in your Sprinter van, but right. I don't. I don't know. I'm sure maybe somebody will do it. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm sure somebody. We is. we do get a lot of people asking about the emissions deletes and stuff like that because mm-hmm. it it causes so many problems and people just like throw their hands up in the air, especially dealing with you know you're dealing with the Mercedes dealership that doesn't want to. They don't want to answer questions. They just say we're gonna. You know, yeah, it's cost this much. We're going to fix it here and you'll have it back. And then they just keep ha- keep having to bring it back. And they say it's more emission stuff or you didn't fill your ad blue or, you know, people get yeah. tired of that sort of stuff. So they're like, OK, can I just delete the whole system? We get asked that question all the time because it's like, you know, if you know anything about diesels, you know, if you delete, if you del- if you just straight pipe the thing and you delete the EGR and delete the EGR cooler, the engine will run better and cleaner and you'll get more fuel efficiency and more performance. It's just that's just mm-hmm. the way it goes. Yeah. But as far as be- it being legal, it's a uh-huh. gray area, you know. Yeah, well, that was that was Volkswagen's thing mm-hmm. for a while. <laughs> yeah, with the whole way better diesel. fuel mileage. <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole diesel gate thing. That was a pretty that was a pretty interesting thing. I was working at the the other. European shop at the time. And it was kind of funny because when they they started doing that, because we worked on a lot of TDIs there when those those mm-hmm. the, the two liter common rail TDIs came out. And those things, man, those things went. They're those are those are quick cars. You get one with oh, a yeah. six six speed manual in them. They're super fun to drive. Yeah. My buddy but, had one. <laughs> yeah. And 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 but yeah, it's like once they did the they did the whole recall where it's like you'd have to take it back in. They would either buy it back from you or you'd take it into the dealership and they'd reflash the ECU so it's actually clean. 
Yeah, and then I don't know what the percentage was, but it dropped your fuel mileage. Oh yeah, and it was it, they didn't drive the same either. They weren't the same. They they <laughs> did they weren't as fun to drive. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was crazy and it was some college students if I remember correctly that mm-hmm. discovered it. They were running the tests on the vehicle going down the road and it was going some insane amount over what the regulation was, but it would pass when it was on a dyno because mm-hmm. they programmed it in to recognize when the car was on a dyno and then all of a sudden it it you know it did its thing to run in that in that, you know, emissions friendly state but when it's out on the road they're pumping out all kinds of nox gas out of there mm-hmm. they're running running super lean but yeah i mean know. it's pretty it's pretty genius if you think about it i mean aside from it being a uh, super <laughs> unethical and against the law yeah, i mean it's pretty yeah. it's a pretty like genius plan <laughs> well it, and it makes you wonder who else is doing what mm-hmm. back then or even right now, because if one company was doing it, you know, multiple companies were doing it and they were just the ones that got caught. And so everybody else is like, oh, OK, quick, we got to send out an update for all these cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, too, especially when it comes to because diesels have been, I guess, as far as the European diesel stuff, that stuff's been in, in Europe and it's been it's a lot more prevalent in Europe than it has been in America it, right. like for years and years before. To whereas like they didn't require their their emissions laws weren't nearly as strict as what they are in America. So you try and introduce these cars that were engineered were designed around Europe, you know, Europe standards and Europe's stuff, and they want to introduce them to a US market. So you have to add all these things and it makes them it, it complicates the system, I guess. And it, yeah, it, yeah, the right. engines weren't designed around these emission systems. These emission systems were an afterthought. So think about all the problems those add and it gets complicated. Mm. Well, uh, cool, man. Uh, do you got anything else that you wanted to add or anything before we wrap this up? No, nothing, nothing I could think of. I mean, cool. I feel like this went pretty good. Yeah. Well, I, I, I enjoyed, uh, just, just BSing with you. And mm-hmm. uh, this, this is why I love doing the podcast. Just getting to talk to people like you. It's fun. So. Yeah. I mean, we didn't talk about anything too specific, but yeah, it's nice to, and this is what I feel like I've always gotten out of even listening to the other podcasts is just like being able to relate mm-hmm. and being able to talk about the things we do because it's not something that everybody necessarily feels as passionate about as a select number of individuals. So it's nice to be able to connect with that community more and just talk about stuff. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You go to a dinner party with your wife or something and <laughs> you maybe you get lucky and there's there's somebody else there can kind of relate careers and passions and stuff like that but it doesn't happen too often for me in mm-hmm. my day-to-day life but to getting to talk to people uh through the podcast and stuff it's been uh it's been really cool so thank thank you for spending your time with me thanks for reaching yeah, out to me too yeah thanks uh, thanks for having me on i'm glad i reached out yeah. Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode. I want to give another thank you to Wesley for spending his time with me this evening. Sit down on the show. I enjoyed that talk. Hopefully you did as well. Um, Just a reminder, uh, on June 3rd and June 4th, I'm going to be hosting 
Mike Christofferson's EPROM and programming class here in the Twin Cities, Minnesota. Um, if you're interested in joining that class, we still have a few spots open. Uh, so reach out to me through my email or through Facebook. Uh, the email will be in the show notes of this episode. And let me know. We can still get you on board for that class. But other than that, let's all get out there. Start fixing the world one car at a time.